Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G, with me as not always, huh? but as a man that has made his first appearance on the Doc G Show <laughs> in 2016. Seven years wow. ago. Seven. Man. Yeah. Man. When Claude first came on the show, everybody, I was a, a horrible host. The show was unorganized, <laughs> unpopular, unknown. Now, seven years later, the show is still all of those things. But Claude has only gotten better, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, Claude, fly till I die, Lathan. Claude, how's it going? Man, I'm so happy to be back on. Uh, you know, start of the NBA season. Outside of that, we always got terrific topics to mm. run through. Really looking forward to what you got for us today. It's good stuff, man. It is good stuff. It is. It's very fortuitous. It was, it's crazy. Uh, Mike doesn't tell me he's he's got this whole wedding planned. Girl, come on. I don't know. He's he's getting <laughs> married, and then he tells me like a month ago, "Hey, I'm getting married." So I, I don't. I'm not sure what you're gonna do on you know on the 25th show, and I'm, I'm like. That's right when the NBA starts. It's perfect it for Claude. Yeah. It was meant to be. Exactly. Exactly. But before we dive into NBA action, let me ask you something. This is this is important. It's been uh it's been a little bit of ongoing debate with me and Mike for the last couple of shows. How do you feel uh regarding the use of bidets, Claude? Hmm. Yeah, um, I've never personally used one. Mm -hmm. I've heard that they are uh, very pleasant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't be opposed to using it. I think the thought of, yes. you know, potential toilet water going in certain places uh, may not be appealing to some, but uh, I think they're used in Japanese culture mm -hmm. a pretty good bit, and um, they seem to be very popular over there. But um, it's funny you mention it because I, I don't think that it'll ever really catch on, at least in America, because yeah. you've got too many people invested in toilet paper. Claude, I want I want to get invested in bidets. Um, <laughs> and you perfectly just now outlined both me and Mike's theories on bidets. His fear of toilet water and my theory that it's going to be a magical cleaning experience, you know? And I'm trying to... I think magical is the right word. Yeah, I'm trying to win him over. I'm trying to get him to realize, hey, let's get on this cleaning tour and let's have some fun with it, you know? but So did you buy one yet? Do you have one? Not yet. It's going to happen. We're all in the same boat, Claude. Me, you, uh, Mike, we've, we've never used a bidet before. But I'm going to, and I'm going to have one. It's on. Nice. It's on my bucket list. It's not. Keep me posted. Yeah. Look, I'll take. Uh, I'll take a personal recommendation. Yeah. Once you get one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, you know. I mean. I. I think it's going to be great. One. Uh, two. Um, my bucket list isn't that amazing, but it's a. It's a pretty important thing. I think on there. You know. I think. Mm -hmm. Bidet use. It's up there. 
Anyways. Some people like skydiving. You like the days. You know, I that's the <laughs> next time somebody's like, <laughs> I've been skydiving 10 times. I'll be like, you know what? I've used a bidet. How about that? Hey, e- either way, you feel a rush. You exactly. Know what I mean? Exactly, Claude. <laughs> well, now, now that we've got that squared away, your feelings, your thoughts regarding bidets, I want to fire this show up uh, because we need to get to some NBA action. Claude, are you ready to fire the show up? Let's fire it. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Mm. All right, folks. We got it's, it's a little bit of a mix and max uh, special here. What? Uh, because we got uh, the beginning of the NBA season, and we miraculously have Claude with us. Uh, longtime listeners of the show know we love the NBA. We love talking about the NBA, so we're going to do that. But we also have an amazing interview with the fantastic New York uh, Times bestselling author Alan Paul on the show, who just released his newest book, Brothers and Sisters, the Almond Brothers Band and the Inside Story of the Album that Defined the 70s. We've also got some good songs coming from our guests that we have coming up, Blackberry Smoke and Trey Lewis. So we're going to play those. So it's a, it's a jam-packed. It's a jam-packed show, but first, we need to start where we start, the birthday suit. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Uh, Claude, yes. this has been a little bit of time since you've done this. Um, and this year, Claude, I don't know if you know this, but this year I have decided to keep track of Mike's um, record. So I have his <laughs> record of how many he's gotten in a row um, you, these won't obviously count to his record, but we can see what right. you have in your record for one day. Uh, so I think this first one also, I like to give now a shorter condensed clue and see if we can okay. just get it from that shorter condensed clue. And then if not, I'll elaborate. So okay. first, I'm, look, I dig it. I dig it. The first ones, uh, I, I think you've got this one. I'm pretty sure born on October 25th, 1984. Santa Barbara, California. She sold roughly 150 million albums. Has nine number one singles with songs like I Kissed a Girl, Teenage Dream, California Girls, Last Friday Night. Hmm. Who is Katy Perry. Katy Perry is I'm on the board. One for one, everybody. (laughs) One for one. Did you know, Claude, that she started out in gospel? I did, actually. I knew she used to be a Christian singer, and um, yeah. I think she's come a, a long way since then. Just came, she And she she's actually, her name's Katie Hudson. and so I did not know that. Yeah, so she, she changed her name because she didn't want to be confused with Kate Hudson, obviously. So, huh. yeah, she was like, well, I, I guess I got to go with another one. So she went with Katie Perry. I was wondering if it was a stage name at first, but changing it legally, that actually makes sense. I think it was I think it was her her mom's maiden name, I want to say Perry was, so she just went with that. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah. yeah, yeah, and now she's uh now she's uh there on American Idol. Um I've never watched oh, the show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, Man, I I couldn't uh I couldn't tell you who the judges are nowadays. I I was one of the the OG watchers, you know, viewers back when we had uh, you know, uh, Paul Abdul yeah. and Randy Jackson and, yeah. and Simon Cowell and Sweet. um I couldn't tell you who's doing it now. It's like the voice, those judges change every year. I I couldn't tell you anything about the show honestly. Like <laughs> I was telling it was it was like 6 months ago me and Mike were talking about it. And I was like 
Mike, it, it's unbelievable, but there are people out there, adults, grown adults, that have never known a life without American Idol. You know? Well, I mean, that's kind of similar with me since we're talking about TV shows real quick. That's me and Survivor. Yeah, Look, exactly. I would, love to, I would love to compete on Survivor one day. I've, I've been so hesitant to put an application in because I need to go jog a couple laps around the neighborhood <laughs> and get in shape for it first. But look, I am a dedicated fan. So those who do, uh, do love American Idol, I respect it. You yeah. know, do you? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm... <laughs> So like a couple laps will do it. I got I got I got three laps around the neighborhood. I'm good. We're ready. Let's get this let's get this Jeff thing Probst. going. Yeah. Get the cameras. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> let's see. Uh Katy Perry's turning uh what is that? Uh 39. One more year in the 30s, wow. Katy. Live it up. Live it up. Uh Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Claude, are you ready to move into some NBA action? Oh, always. All right, let's start here. This uh, this this first thing is not anything about the teams coming up, but uh, Wimbenyama is in action, um, and he's an alien. Mike's Mike's been very excited about this, and he's he's sent me all kinds of of the highlights, you know, and he looks like a, a flurry of legs and arms on the court. Like I mean, he's got he's got an eight foot wingspan, and he weighs yeah, he weighs two hundred pounds. I want hey, he did. I to his credit, he gave he gained twenty pounds of muscle this off season. Really? Say what? Yeah, I don't know if they've got him on the Giannis Antetokounmpo diet or workout regimen, but he went from two hundred to basically two eighteen, two twenty. Oh, okay. right. well, well, then this this uh, this nickname may not work for him. But I wanted to ask if this was an appropriate, acceptable nickname. Would Daddy Long Legs be an acceptable, appropriate <laughs> nickname? You know. There's some nicknames that stick and some that don't. Like Giannis, speaking of him, he embraced the Greek freak. Uh-huh. He likes that. Yeah. Um, you've got Kevin Durant, the Slim Reaper. He right. did not like that one. Um, I, I think Daddy Long Legs would be hilarious, and he could probably make a, a pretty penny using that. Exactly. But so true. I just don't know if he would like it. All right. Well, well, if he if he catches wind of it, we'll see if he wants to keep it or not. We'll we'll wait for we'll wait for Wimby's. Re- I think it's way better than Wimby. You know, just like shortening his yeah. name. I think that way. Well, it makes Wimby makes me think of Wendy for Brian Windhorst. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I Wimby's too close to that. But um, Daddy Longlegs. That's the first time I've heard that one. Yeah. What did, did Dave did Dave like that one? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I think. Um, you know, I, I think you shop it around. It's pretty good. You can shorten it too, and, and like if he's using it in like a demonstrative way, he can be like, "You can call me daddy," you know. And other players like, "Oh man, right?" Like, you, there's a lot of ways you can use it. Anyways, anyways, I mean, he, he towers over him, so he it, might as well be exactly. Well, let's uh, let's start here, Claude. I was thinking about this. So we've got uh, obviously uh, just a jam-packed NBA, just all kinds of talent, uh, East and West. And uh, the even even the casinos don't know what to make of this. Even the the bet makers don't know what to make of this. And you can see it sort of in the uh, over unders for the totals, right? So I like to look at these at the beginning of the year. Uh, the bookmakers total projections as far as wins for each team. And so I thought we would go through the top ten as far as the. Uh, 
best five in each of the conferences and see what you think of their predictions. That's right. Uh, and okay. s- decide whether or not they're going to go over or under those predictions. So we'll start in the East. We'll start with number five, which would be New York. And uh, New York Knicks, 45 and a half games. That's what they're they're projecting. What do you think? What do you think? Over or under, are they going to go 45 and a half? I think they'll go over. I do. I think um, Brunson was a fringe all, all-star last year. I think yep. he's going to continue on that path. Whether he's an all-star officially this year or not, he's playing at that caliber. Mm. I think if he has another season like that, then it's going to be hard for voters to keep him out. But as you said, it's a jam-packed league with so much talent sometimes it's just hard to make that roster that's true um julius randall you know he's a double double machine uh and then obviously rj barrett you know i kind of wanted to see something with rj this year um that i hadn't seen in the past similar to what laurie markinen did where he had a terrific uh you know summer two summers ago Mm -hmm. went to utah had a career year um coming off of those fiba olympic games i believe it was so i if RJ, you know, he played uh, for for Canada this year, I would love to see him come in and take that same leap. Yeah, yeah. I uh, first off, shout out to uh, Sam Morell. Sam Morell, big uh, New York uh, Knicks fan. So shout hopefully out. they do good for Sam's sake. Uh, I got to be honest, I didn't really hear anything out of New York this off season. I don't know if that's good or bad. I just didn't hear anything out of them. You know, They're, the one thing that I was shocked by is they kept Evan Fournier yeah. after. Uh, Thibodeau benched him for basically the entire second half of the year last year. Yeah. Uh, dropped him out of the, him and him and Derrick Rose dropped him out of the rotation. There's you know that's a little bit conflicting. Who knows if there's tension in the locker room with that? And then on top of it, Emmanuel uh, quickly did not sign his rookie scale contract extension. Mm-hmm. So is he going to be playing a little bit more selfish to try and get paid? You know, those are factors that are definitely going to play into their season. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, is is one of those things I feel like <laughs> Dolan was like, hey, you know what? We weren't that bad last year. All right, let's just keep that going. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm good <laughs> with that. Like, okay, number four in the uh, Eastern Conference here, we have the Sixers. Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, man. All kinds of chaos going on here. 47 a and a half. 47 and a half games. What do you think? Hmm. I think that they are not going to win that many games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll go under. I, the reason is just because, again, there's so much turmoil with the James Harden situation. You obviously have to point that out first. We all know that. Um, you look at the rest of their roster, I think a sneaky pickup is Kelly Oubre. Mm. Uh, Kelly Oubre is, for the past you know four or five seasons, been around an 18-point-per-game guy. He averaged, uh, I think, 20-and-a-half. Um, for a really bad Charlotte team last year, which was plagued with injuries. So we got more opportunity. They obviously didn't have uh, bridges last season either. So he's a really good pickup for Philly. And I think that um, he's going to get some minutes, uh, but they're still relying on guys like PJ Tucker in their starting lineup. And I know PJ is wonderful defensively, but he's a liability on offense. He doesn't give you anything. So is his spot going to be filled a little bit there, uh, you know, with Kelly Oubre? I would like to see that. I think Maxie's going to have to take that leap to really turn into an all-star player, especially if they don't have Harden 
Are they going to put the ball in Maxie's hand the majority of the time? Um, and I think that there's a lot of pressure off of Joel, which this may play in their favor, actually, but there's pressure off of Joel to not go out and get a sympathy vote MVP this mm-hmm. year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's just playing free. Uh, if they don't do well this season, I could see him potentially asking out as much as he loves Philadelphia. But uh, Daryl Morey has some decisions to make in that front office. And, you know, I, I think if I was him, I would try and maximize getting one or two first round picks for James Harden and cutting ties with that and be done with it. Yeah. If you've got a toxic situation going on, it's 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 a cancer in the locker room. It trickles into the front office. Um, it trickles into ownership. Nobody wants to be around that. They've been waiting on the process. They've been trusting the process since 2014. <laughs> That's a long Sam, effing process. Sam Hinkie's uh, nose just itched a little bit when you said that. And there, there are kids out there watching basketball now that don't even get that slogan. They're like, what? Trust the process. What do you mean? They're like, oh, it's this thing that happened before you were born. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, talk about bad luck, though, uh, you, with the Ben Simmons situation. Uh, you got to deal with that. Now you got to deal with James Harden and that situation. Just, you know, I feel for Joel, but um, man, what a mess. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, number three in the East called Cleveland. Fifty and a half games. What do you think? Over yeah. or under? Over, mm. for sure. I think mm. uh, Cleveland, here's the deal with them. The the looming uh, contract extension with Donovan Mitchell is at the forefront of the Cavaliers' mind. Yeah. You know, will they bring him back? Does he want to come back? Mm. You know, you hear reports from anonymous GMs and anonymous front office members that um, it's the worst kept secret that he doesn't want to be in Cleveland. First off, who wants to go to Cleveland? Um, I mean, no knock on anyone from Cleveland. If you're listening, please don't stop all. listening, Cleveland. <laughs> but who wants to go vacation there yes. versus, you know, South Beach or a bigger market? Um, but I will say Cleveland, the reason I'm going over is I think that if Mitchell buckles down and has a season like he did last year and Garland plays a little bit better, I think he was fringe all-star last year after making it the year before. Mm-hmm. Jared Allen's made an all-star team as well. Um, Evan Mobley's going to take a leap. Um, I, You've got guys on the roster, though, like Isaac Okoro. Uh, you've got Karis LeVert. These are guys that are going to have to step up for that team. Mm-hmm. They don't really have that solid three-man, you know, that small forward that they need. But they have a very complete, you know, well-rounded starting lineup for the most part uh, that can compete with anybody on any day in the league. That's a fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will say, losing to the Knicks, uh, that made me a little sad in the in the playoffs. Oh, made me a little sad. Uh, you know, Knicks fans love the, love the fact that Mitchell didn't beat them, though. Of course. Of course. Uh, you know, for all the listeners, that was a huge thing going into last season was – the Knicks were the, the number one, you know, trade runner, or excuse me, at the forefront of making. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of wish that he had gone to the Knicks. I think that would have been really fun to watch him and Brunson and Randall. RJ would have probably been in that trade, so he wouldn't be there. Um, but yeah, that uh, that Knicks team and and that Cavs series was uh, intense. Yeah. Well, uh, number two, one of my faves, Milwaukee. 53 and a half. That's Milwaukee, so low. 53 and a half over or under? Over. Dame could not play the whole year. 
and Giannis would carry them to 55 plus every single uh, season. That's right. He is the definition of let me carry you through the regular season with a terrific record um, every game for three quarters and 11 minutes. He is the best player on the court. Um, and he's even had flashes more recent in his career uh, of being that closer when they needed, especially mm-hmm. last year with Middleton getting hurt and going down. He had to step up in that role, minus what we saw in the finals against Phoenix a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely go over. I think the addition of Dame is just going to be ridiculous. You talk about the best tandems in the league. Um, they might be the best. It's debatable, but um, you'll have to obviously replace Drew's defense. I think um, guys like Bobby Portis are going to continue to step up in a bigger role. Brooke Lopez had kind of a resurgent year last year. Uh, it's going to be interesting how the how they mesh to start the season, but I think once they figure it out, it's going to click, and they'll be on their way to 55-plus. That's what I was thinking. I, I, I'm wondering how long that, that gel time will be, you know? I'm just wondering yeah. about that if that'll take a good while or not. But aside and from that, someone else too that they, someone else real quick that they lost um, that people may think is irrelevant, um, but they lost Grayson Allen, yeah. who started a ton of games for them the last couple years. Uh, they still have Pat Connington that's going to slide in and, and really fill in that spot that he and mm-hmm. Grayson were, you know, almost dual playing, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I think that's going to be a bigger loss than what people realize. Yeah. He's a sharp shooter. Who's going to, who's going to trip other players on the other team? What? Huh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyways, what do I know? Number one, we've got Boston at 54 and a half over or under Claude. Over. Ooh. Definitely over. Oh. I, um, I think Jason Tatum has reached the point in his career where, uh, he is obviously the man. He's a perennial all-star. Is he a superstar? I think he's he's finally there. Um, Jason Tatum reminds me a lot of Tracy McGrady. Uh, mm. The one difference between the two players, though, is Tracy McGrady never really had a front office put a, a wonderful team around him. Nope. Um, he was basically carrying a lot of the teams that he was on. Yeah. Um, and he's noted saying that publicly even after he retired. Um, Jason Tatum... He's got the luxury of a wonderful team. I mean, look at, they end up getting Drew Holiday. They end up getting Kristaps Porzingis. They may be a little bit thin on the bench, but you're going to have guys like Peyton Pritchard that need to step up. I think that they're all very confident. I think they walk with swagger. I think they know that they are the best team potentially in the East, maybe the NBA. Um, so I think Jason Tatum's going to take that, that leap to superstar status and lead his team to probably 55-plus wins. I'm uh, I'm I'm hesitant on it. I'm hesitant on it. Porzingis, yeah. uh, I'll tell you, the, the main thing is they put so much into Porzingis, and he, yeah. you know, and he's he's only played sixty games in three of the last nine seasons. But I just, when he plays, oh, he he's looks good. good. Oh, he looks he looks, he looks amazing. Yeah, no. I I'm, thought last year, if, if Washington had had a slightly better record, I thought by the All Star break he could have been another uh, All Star. Probably. You know, he's been an All Star in the past on the Knicks, but um, he looks limber. He looks fluid. He looks like he's actually playing meaningful basketball. And you know, I played back in my heyday. Yeah, uh, oh, I yeah. will say that it makes a huge difference knowing that every night that you walk on the court, you have a chance to win. And I think that's what Kristaps has been lacking his entire career. Um, He had a brief stint in Dallas where he got to play with a younger Luka. 
um, and that didn't work out. But he's between the Knicks, between uh, and there's always been turmoil. Him and Luca, him mm-hmm. and Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's never played on a team that had meaningful games, and I think he's finally going to get that. And hopefully his body holds up. He's basically the daddy long legs before the daddy long legs. You know. They called him the unicorn, you know, before exactly. old Vic. Exactly. Well, let's go over to the West. Number five in the West, Los Angeles Clippers, 45 and a half games over under. Hmm. Man, they put that one right on the sweet spot. <laughs> um, so true. You know, is is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, are they going to play 45 games with themselves? You know, that, yeah, that's, the, know. that's the trick. You talk about Porzingis' health. I mean, the... The Los Angeles Clippers, you talk about what-ifs in NBA history. Exactly, um, They are, as of right now, they're still playing, which is the crazy thing. They're still together. Yeah. But they are, they're one of the biggest what-ifs ever. Four because years Paul into George it. and Kawhi, I mean, they have had loaded roster after roster every year that they've been there. Um, and they just keep getting hurt. And yeah. you really can't say much else about it. So... I'm going to go over because I'm expecting statistically you can't have that many seasons of getting hurt without having one season at least of everybody being able to play. So I'm going to say over. I'm going to say they stay healthy. Um, You know, they implemented the new rule this year where you have to play, I believe, 65 games to qualify for awards and all NBA and things like that. Um, and I know that whether they come out publicly and say that stuff, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard do care about that. That's maybe Kawhi not so much. I don't know. But that's uh, their legacy at the end of the day. So with that rule being implemented, I don't think they sit out quite as much. And there's also the rule that you have. There's a criteria for what a superstar is in the NBA yeah. or, or a star player uh, for this season. And you can't sit out two star players at once. So, for example... Paul George plays, Kawhi can sit, mm-hmm. but they both can't sit at the same time. Right. So those are factors that'll play into the Clippers season very heavily. Um, but I'm going over. I've been I've been fooled too many times by those guys. I love them, <laughs> and I'm going to keep watching them. But I, I just can't put all my faith into that that that. And I'm sure now that I say that this, like you said, this will be the year. And I'll be like, oh, come on, guys, lame. Come on. I'm telling you. I mean, statistically, if you're drawing straws, one of them's going to be short, yeah. and it's there's always one shot. Maybe this is it. Yeah. If this isn't it, I'll say I don't. They're probably going to break the band up. You I can't think. see them bringing that core back um, after what this would be four or five seasons of them this would getting be, hurt yeah yeah well number four los angeles lakers 46 and a half uh is that going to be over or under i'm gonna go over um reason being is a it's a direct uh, implication from the trade that they made at the deadline last year um where they they shipped out westbrook and then brought in you know Rui and bando and malik beasley and uh, Mo Bamba, you know, Mo and uh, Malik aren't there anymore, but um, I, I think over, they played extremely well at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. I thought that they were arguably the one of the best teams in the league by the end of the year. Clearly, they went to the, the conference finals um, in what people were saying was a bad year for them. I've never heard of anyone going to the conference finals being one of four teams left and it, and it be a bad year. And yet, that's what the narrative was for the Lakers. I think over, 
Uh, D'Lo is going to have a great opportunity to, to kind of not resurrect because he didn't fall off, but he was an all-star years ago in Brooklyn. I'd like to see him get back to that. They brought in Gabe Vincent. Um, I think that that's a sneaky pickup. Uh, he's from Miami. Uh, and then I, I love Rui. He worked out all summer with LeBron. Very big Rui fan. Um, I think he's going to take a leap this year as well. I mean, I mentioned Vando defensively. I don't even need to mention LeBron and AD. We know what we get with those guys, but the rest of the roster, they're deep, they're long, they're athletic, they've got everything they need. If LeBron's career was a person, it could legally drink now. Wait, what? Oh, man. He's been in the league 21 seasons, people. It's insane. That's crazy. Insane. Well, I'm a, you know me, I'm a LeBron fan. Um, LeBron, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show one day. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, if 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 it was if it was uh, if if they were drinking, uh, Claude would get drunk off of uh, LeBron's ca- uh, career. That's for sure. That's for sure. I don't 100%. know how that. Huh? You know, three. Anyways, uh, <laughs> number three I, I am in the West, Golden State, forty-seven and a half. Are they going over or under? Um, I'm going over on a lot of these picks, but I'm going to go over on that one. I think they'll win 50 games. I do. Um, and the reason is uh, no Jordan Poole conflicts with him and Draymond. He's yeah. gone. Um, Poole can can win you a lot of games, but he can also lose you a lot of games. Yeah. Uh, he is high risk. The same play high reward. Yeah, he's the same play style as, as Steph Curry. And what you're getting by subtracting him and bringing in Chris Paul, which is crazy to think about Chris Paul's on the Warriors now yeah. after all those battles that they had uh, with him in Houston with James Harden. Yeah. Um, but I think Chris Paul is going to average his normal assist numbers. His scoring is going to drop. You know, Historically, he's around anywhere from 14 to 18 points any given season. Yeah. I think he's probably going to average um, career low in points, but his assists will remain the same. Um, it's going to be a great fit. They're going to have a wonderful small ball lineup that they can go to uh, with Draymond at the five, Wiggins at the four. They play Curry at the two, Clay at the three. Um, and I think Kaminga is going to take a leap as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have written right here in front of me, Chris Paul, and th- this is my thought on it. Chris Paul has made every team that he has played for better and win more games every time. Right, I mean, New right. New Orleans more wins, Clippers more wins, OKC more wins, Houston more wins, Phoenix more wins. I know he's old. I know he hasn't won the big one, but that dude can win games. That's for sure. He's a winner. You know, the, we talk about injuries. It's all going to come down to you know. I saw a, a tweet. I will. It's called X now or right. whatever. Right. Musk changed it to, but I still call it Twitter. Um, <laughs> Claude's old school people. I'm like one of those old men, you mm-hmm. know. I refuse to change. Still Twitter with the times. That's right. Um, but I saw a tweet and it said, uh, "What's you know one thing preventing the Warriors from winning a championship?" And my mind immediately went to the playoffs and Chris Paul getting hurt. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's almost inevitable that he will have a phenomenal regular season with his team, get to the playoffs, and somehow get hurt. Very true. Very true. Well, moving on, two left. Phoenix, number two, 52 and a half. Are they going over or under? You know, I think a lot of these teams got lowballed. I, I mean, really, like, you look at Phoenix, and speaking of Winhurst, the other day on ESPN had a great point. They have the opportunity to be potentially the best offense, not in the NBA this year, but potentially all time. Mm. They yeah. have assassins. 
Um, and Bradley Beal does not need to be a 30-point-per-game guy that he was a few years ago in Washington. He's going to average, I think, more like Chris Bosh numbers from a scoring perspective. Um, but if Kevin Durant, who's almost automatic to miss at least 15 games every season, yeah. if he can stay relatively healthy, um, I just don't see how you can guard all three of those guys, Kevin Durant, Booker, and, and Beal at the same time. And uh, I believe the owner, Matt Ishma, he did a wonderful job after orchestrating the Beal trade of making a few other moves. The Aiton trade, they brought in Nurkic at center, um, and they've got depth. They've got uh, one of my fan favorite players, Bull Bull, on the bench. Um, I don't foresee, uh, even though I, I forget yeah. who it was, said that Bull Bull may be a defensive player of the year candidate uh, off the bench this year. I, I don't really agree with that. But, nope. um, you know, talking about the Lakers being long, athletic, Phoenix has everything that they need. They're long, athletic. They just got to stay healthy. Yeah, yeah. I am. That's, that's the main thing I'm worried about, you know? The Slim he Reaper is 35 year. years old, and he had a Achilles rupture. Like, come on. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah. uh, I might have a couple of years in him. Who knows? Let's see. I no. think I think if he really wanted to, Kevin Durant could play until he's forty years old and just he, start being a, a he, center and he, just stand he in is, the paint. With I was his about hands to up. say he can be very uh, physically conservative when he needs to be and still be effective. Yeah. Um, right. Number one, Denver returning champs, fifty-two and a half two. What is that? Is that is that Another, disrespectful? That's very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, speaking of disrespect, Charles Barkley apologized for this. Uh, TNT put out their graphic for opening night, yeah. and they included you know players like LeBron and superstars on there. I, I forget some of the others, but uh, Jokic was not on that. Yeah. And Jokic is the best player in the league. He's yeah. the best player in the world. How, how and, much? How much do you think Jokic cared? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he cared at all. But I do think you know you you said disrespectful. Oh yeah. They're getting low-balled in the wins. The media doesn't show them any love. ESPN, uh, Fox Sports, they don't show them any love. Uh, there's, they say there's nothing flashy about Denver. Um, Denver lost Bruce Brown. That's it. Yeah. And they've got a young guy on their team, uh, the Braun kid um, out of Kansas, mm-hmm. who's probably going to be solidified as their sixth man this year. Um they have basically the same team coming back as last year. Michael Porter Jr. is one of the best shooters in the entire league, um, and he's six foot ten. So it's not like if you if he gets blown by, he can't block your shot from yeah. behind. Um, but Jokic is just going to go out and do what he always does. Uh, he had a stat line here in the preseason that in just twenty five minutes he put up. I think it was around twenty five points, fourteen assists, or fourteen rebounds, eight assists. You know, the man's unstoppable. I just don't really see. Uh, why they get so much disrespect as they do? Now I didn't get to I didn't get to tell you this because uh, uh, you weren't on the show. I actually told uh, when Matchbox Twenty came on the show and I was talking to yeah. their um, their guitarist. Uh, he he uh, they they did a concert during the finals and we were talking about Denver uh, and Bomani before Bomani's show was canceled. Sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had he he talked on his show and it was one of my favorite analogies ever because we uh we love uh Jokic on the show. He's right over there on the door of the studio. There he is. I'm looking over at him right now right beside <laughs> the old KFC logo. I got him. Love um it. 
But uh, he said on his he said on his show he was like, you know what Jokic reminds me of? He reminds me of that uh, that uh, Sandlot team when you've got a bunch of like twelve year olds and not enough twelve year olds show up to practice, so the coach has to play with the kids. Jokic is the coach <laughs> that has to play with the kids. He's like, it even looks like that. He gets the ball, and there's a bunch of other little kids running around, and if one of them's open, he'll spot it immediately and throw it to him. And if nobody gets open, he's like, all right, I'll shoot it. And he nails it, and then he runs back down the court half-heartedly, like, all right, there you go, fine. <laughs> it's just like that. He just dominates, and he's not even, it doesn't even look like he's trying. It's crazy. It. It's unreal. Um, you know, when you look at the scouting report, when he first came into the league, they basically had him as a, a you know, glorified backup as his window, you know, or his, his ceiling. Um, and he's just clearly uh, gone <laughs> astronomically further than what people thought. And uh, it's, it's really impressive to see. I mean, we, you know me, we just talked about LeBron he's always strive for greatness, right? Yeah. Like when you're watching these guys in the NBA, especially, again, another point we touched on, the age of some of these guys, you don't know how long you're going to get to watch the greatness that comes with with their talent. Right, um, right. I have no idea how long we're going to get to watch Jokic do this because he seems like he's really into horse racing and <laughs> that he could retire early and just go do that and he'd be perfectly fine. True. Um, you know, if, if Denver's championship window closes in four years – does he want to keep playing on a bad team or is he just going to go drink a nice liquor drink and, and watch his horses? Um, so I, I'm appreciating this while we have it now because we've never seen a center other than Wilt Chamberlain, who I would guess a hundred percent of the viewers never got to see play. Yeah. Um, we've never seen anything like this. So it's, it's really incredible. If there are any listeners that got Wilt to, or got to watch Wilt play, shout out to you guys shout for out. being aged like a fine wine. Uh, Claude, fantastic NBA action. It has begun. I am excited. Can't wait to watch a mountain time. We didn't talk about the jazz, but I think, Claude, I haven't made a full decision, but I think I'm fully behind them again this year. I think they're my number one team again. I haven't decided. I have to ask you a question then. What are you most excited about with that team? I mean, I, I think I think Laurie again. I think marketed. Yeah. I mean, he's just he's he. Well, and I honestly, the best part about last season with the Jazz is just their their animated home games. Man, nobody has a crowd like that. They just get in. It doesn't matter who they're playing. It doesn't matter what the score is. They're just jazzed, and it works yeah. well. That's their that's their name. It works perfectly. But I just so uh, we talked about uh we talked about D'Lo and that old you know Nets team that he was on yeah they're very similar to that in yeah. regards to they play with uh, with no convictions they're just out there running around doing their thing if they win games great of course they want to win but there's no pressure on them to win so yeah. when they do win it's all hunky dory when they don't win it's like ah well we didn't expect to win anyway so yeah. Uh, I will I will say their front line might be one of the most impressive as far as length goes in the NBA. Yeah. They traded for John Collins. Um, they're going to be starting Laurie at the three, Mark, or excuse me, uh, John Collins at the four, and Kessler at the five, and that is a stout 
front line. And then I, I, I love, I love Taylor Hendricks, new guy on the on the squad. I love, I love Colin Sexton. He's one of my favorite. He's just bull in a Young china bull. shop. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean Jordan Clarkson. It, it, Jordan Clarkson just goes on those tears where all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, should I score thirty points?" But his isn't like disruptive usually, like like you were just talking about Jordan Poole. His is like, he, if he catches fire, he'll realize and be like, "All right, time." He's to- got that Lou Williams game exactly, exactly. We Lou. Anyways, yeah. I'm rambling about the Jazz. I'm just, I'm psyched. <laughs> We got to take a break. We are going to be right back, but we are going to hear a great song from Trey Lewis, who will be in Gainesville on November 2nd, and he'll be on this show November 1st. This is a song, Good to Know People, right here on the Doc G Show. some good and old people They make some damn good friends They'll pick you up from the side of the road Even if it's 3 a.m. And don't want nothing in return No matter what kind of pinch you're in It's good and old people like them Cause it's a crazy world we live in Gotta have someone to crack a joke in Scared of a hard day's work Loving life and living it simple Putting God and family first And when it all hits the fan And you're hanging out on a limb It's good to know people like them Cause it's a crazy world we live in Gotta have someone to crack a joke in a beer with When you need someone they'll always be It's a crazy world we live in You gotta have someone to crack a joke and a beer with We need someone that'll always be right there When there's no one else you can turn to Tell Trey
are back here on the Doc G Show. You just heard Trey Lewis right here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Since Mike's not here, I'll go ahead and say it, listeners. Uh, if you haven't, you need to go ahead and follow or subscribe of the show. It's the best way to show your appreciation for the show. Any way that you listen to the show, if it's on Apple, if it's on Spotify, if it's on SoundCloud, if it's on Stitcher, tune in, all of those things, one of them, choose one of them, choose all of them, and uh, follow us. Uh, that's always the best thing to do. Yes! Uh, and Claude, we need to thank those people that listen to us right now and need to go to the old five-star listeners here. Shout out. Yes. Let me give these shout-outs here. I'm going to try to do the fast route. Last week, <laughs> I uh, I almost got all through these without a screw-up until the very last city, and I, I stumbled right at the end. It felt really goofy, but we're going to give it a shot. Here we go. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Frank, Jer- uh, oh, 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 no, no, that's that's too soon in it. I got to start over. That was quick. I'm, yeah. That was quick. But I got to start over. That was only five in, so I'm starting over, listeners. Okay, prepare yourself. Here we go. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Frankfurt, Germany, Anoka, Minnesota, Ashburn, Virginia, Piracai, Brazil, San Diego, California, Dublin, Ireland, Boardman, Oregon, Genoa, Italy, Richardson, Texas, Tar- Barcelona, Spain, Winfield, West Virginia, Bluxy, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Peoria, Illinois, Katy, Texas, Toms River, New Jersey, Olive Branch, Mississippi, Asheville, North Carolina, Los Angeles, California, Spartanburg, <laughs> South Carolina, Athens, Georgia, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Chicago, Illinois, and Boynton, Virginia. Mm, that wasn't that good, Claude. That was not that good. You I screwed know- up. You sounded exactly like that song, uh, <clears throat> I've Been Everywhere, Man. Yes. Yes, I turned into Johnny <laughs> Cash. Yes. That's right. Yeah. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. That's that was what, great. I have I have only been to like five of those places, so I can't claim that I've been to all of those places. But uh, regardless, <laughs> we appreciate the listens, everybody. Um, Claude, the four-star listeners. Here we go. We've got uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. You ever been to New Orleans? Hmm. You know, I haven't. I would love to. I would love to go eat some of the food there. Yeah. Oh, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Monterey, California. Shout out to Monterey. Uh, that's actually uh, roundabouts where uh, Mike is right now. So shout out to Mike. Nice. Um, uh, Blacksburg, Virginia. Shout out to Blacksburg right beside my old hometown there. Montreal, Canada. Shout out to you guys. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. OKC. Uh, SGA fans right there. Uh, Palm Beach, Florida. Shout out to you guys. Detroit City. Motor City Madness. Uh, Port-au-Prince. Haiti. All right. That might be, uh, Claude, uh, a while back, I think it was over the summer, I uh, said that I would uh, like to learn Haitian Creole. Maybe, maybe, Maybe they heard. Maybe, maybe it they, sounds like it. Yeah, maybe they were like, you know what? We're gonna listen and see if it's possible to teach this guy Haitian Creole. And after they heard me do the five star listeners, they're like, it's not possible. No, we can't. <laughs> can't work with this guy. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out to Phoenix. Uh, Taylorsville, Mississippi. Shout out to you guys. Uh, Richmond, Virginia, and lastly, Portland, Oregon. Thanks to all the listens. We appreciate it. Uh, 
Claude, let's see. Looking at the old time here. We're gonna we're gonna hit up a couple of quick headlines. We gotta get some headlines in here. Are you ready to rip some headlines? Let's rip it. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Uh, Claude, have you ever had something happen to you where it was almost a frightening disaster, but amazingly nothing happened? A real close call. Uh, Yeah, I have actually. Years ago, um, it's just a super short story. Mm -hmm. I was driving... um, and I, there was, it was really odd. It was two or three o'clock in the afternoon, but there was nobody around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, a at an intersection and it had rained earlier in the day. Uh-oh. I was driving an older truck at the time and the tires probably should have been replaced at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the truck hydroplane did a complete 180, uh, went up on the median on the, you know, right in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I was basically curbed my own truck and I just sat there, took a deep breath and drove the opposite direction <laughs> And went home. <laughs> I that, thought to myself that could have been so much worse than it was. That yes, that that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, a man in Memphis this week. He had a similar, except this his was. Uh, I would have to say way more terrifying. Uh, he was driving <laughs> westbound on Poplar Street near Second Presbyterian Church when he heard several gunshots. Then he heard an extremely loud gunshot, feeling like it was right beside his ear. And he realized the gunshot had busted completely through his car, going from the front windshield to the back windshield. And after he realized that, he also realized that the bullet was so close, it actually knocked his glasses off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, but... I don't know what I... It was so loud and so fast, he didn't even realize that it hit his glasses. It's crazy, man. Did he find out where it came from? Has not found out, no. Well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, I I did look at the story two days ago. Maybe they found out, but uh, they hadn't found out. He had someone or something looking after him that day. That was close, Claude. Close. Uh, We got a a, uh, world record, Claude got a world record okay journey castillo journey castillo has set a new record she has become the youngest person to ever see all 63 national parks jeez how old do you think journey is the youngest person to ever do it yeah um 38 she's three what (laughs) three years old so her, oh, her man. parents just took her to all of these places. And I got to say, Claude, I, I always say the best time to visit national parks is when you won't remember a single thing from visiting national parks. Like I tell you, it's funny because when she gets to be in uh, in school, you know, when you have to give a fun fact or a job later in life. That's going to be the go-to. Go that's a hell of a fun fact. That's a that's a go-to right there. I, but like, I've got zero memories from the before the age of three. I've mm-hmm. I've barely got memories from when the show started seven years ago. <laughs> I don't remember that. Ah. Nope. Anyways, uh, let's see here, Claude. I just got a headline. This is a headline from uh, News Channel Nine in Denver. Tell me if you hear the error in this headline. Quote. Ball Arena hosting eight events in eight days 
this week. Hmm. <laughs> Saint- yeah, they might be off on that one. Maybe simple uh, yeah. math isn't their thing. Seven days? Eight days? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it seems like after running a couple editors, somebody might be like, well, you see, this may be a problem. Uh, mainly on the account that uh, there are only seven days in a week. It's gonna be it's gonna be the issue there. That uh, I I read that headline. I was going through headlines. I read it. I was just like, wait, what? Look, Grammarly can't fix that. So if they don't have that, they just got to be able to do math. That's true. I'm gonna blame that. I'm gonna blame that uh, that title on AI. It's a AI <laughs> title right there. Um, right, here's here's a here's a headline, Claude from UPI. Uh, quote, beer bottle message found uh, from 1955 inside wall oh, wow. of De- Delaware home. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you know what it said? Yes. It was, <laughs> it was the worst message ever because the message was just, this bottle was put in here by a plumber on 325-1955. That's great. That was it. That was I it. I like it. I think that if I was in my Delaware home and I found that, I would laugh. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> I like how the plumber wasn't interested in leaving any information for this message. Name? Nah. Reason for writing the message? Nah. Cartoon doodle? Nope. What are you putting? Just that a plumber was here. <laughs> that's it. Yes. That's That's all I want out of this. Like... You know, maybe maybe one other you know, thing. He probably did it. He or she probably did it, and uh, and thought you know, someone's gonna find this in five, ten years, and it'll be really funny. And it took all the way until twenty twenty three. Took about seventy instead. Instead, uh, got one other one here, Claude. Real quick, this uh, there's not too much with the interesting with this story. I just there's one thing that stuck out about the title. The story is about a kid who got into Yale as a legacy student because everybody in his family since his great-grandparents had gone to Yale. And uh, the title of the story is, quote, how a high school student at the bottom of his class with a 2.1 GPA wrote a cliche uh, essay about bowling and got into Yale. Hmm. Wow. And like, Yeah, I mean... I don't know if that's well deserved or not. Well, well you know, but no, it's impressive nonetheless. <laughs> I, I was on board with the title. I read, you know, like I said, I read the article. You're like, okay, yeah, I see why I got in. Obviously, it's, it's it's all the family connections. But the thing that got me in the title, Claude, there's no such thing as a cliche bowling essay. <laughs> no, no one has ever come up to another person and been like, so would you write your essay on? And they're like, oh, you know. The old cliche bowling essay, like <laughs> what? No, uh, like you. Maybe you, that's why he got in. He was thinking outside of the box. Well, uh, here's so the, the thing was was it was cliche because it was all about like overcoming failures and these things. That's what they explained. But I'm like, don't put it in the in the title that it's about bowling because that's not cliche right. at all. Just be like it was a cliche. Uh, essay about succeeding, lame. You know, something like that. Like, come on. Can't be cliche <laughs> with just bowling. There's No. No one has ever thought of being successful and being accepted with bowling. Therefore, it can't be cliche. Like, come on. Anyways, 
We are going to take a break, Claude. We are going to be right back with Alan Paul to talk about his new book. Can't wait. It's going to be a good time. Hang tight, guys. We'll be right back right here on the Doc G Show. The Doc G Show, because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are very happy to be welcoming a fantastic journalist, author, and musician all rolled into one, Mr. Alan Paul. His newest book, Brothers and Sisters, The Almond Brothers Band, and the album that defined the 70s. It was released on July 25th, 2023. It's all focused on the Almond Brothers before and after and during the recording of the album Brothers and Sisters. The book highlights the time there uh, going on. Uh, Alan, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, as I was just telling you off camera, I, I love what you're doing and um, I appreciate it. I know anyone who's listening to this is probably a very dedicated fan of music and supports live music and music books and journalism and everything. And uh, I think it's more important than ever, and so I appreciate you, and I appreciate all your uh, listeners and, and viewers. So of thank course. you all. Well, I think we could spend hours talking about just all the 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 things that you've you've done in your life. I mean, you know, great things as far as your career, as far as music becoming uh, uh, famous in in China uh, in the early two thousands. Uh, your your editing work, your other books, but since you have this new book, I thought that we would. We'd focus on that the most, and you're coming here to Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I yeah, thought we'd get get down to that. You've uh, you've written, like I said, several books. Uh, you wrote about Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, you you had a biographical sort of novel about that time in in China. Um, I, I gotta wonder. I mean, you know, I've written a book in my day. I wrote a dissertation, uh, and it was a monumental task getting all of that together, doing all yeah. of that. I feel like, you know, writing a novel is, is that same way. When you write a novel, is it one of those things where you're sort of a bit-by-bit bit writer, or do you just jump into it all at once and say, I'm, I'm, I'm spilling it all out until I'm finished? Yeah, um, a little bit of both. Um, I, I, I mean, bit-by-bit bit in the sense that it's literally one step in front of the other, so chapter-by-chapter, block-by-block. Um, I don't write everything completely linearly. I mean, sometimes I, mm -hmm. you know, I get I, because of, for whatever reason I'll, I'll tackle something that's going to be chapter ten and eleven mm -hmm. um, before I do seven, eight, nine. Sometimes, um, but all at once in the sense that once I go in on the book, it's it's really what I do, and I throw myself into it. Um, I wouldn't say it gets easier. This is my fourth book. It it does get easier in a few ways. So I mean, 
one, um, when I have like this panic attacks, um, they don't become panic attacks. But I, when I, you know, there's always a point in the book where you sort of feel like you painted yourself into a corner mm -hmm. and everything felt great until that point. And then you're going, um, uh oh, what is happening here? What if this is no good? Where do I go? How do I get out of this corner? Um, the, and, and, you know, they used to really induce like, oh, like panic, like sleepless nights. And now I've done it. I have the confidence that I know this is part of the process. I know I'm going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that while it's happening, I'm not sort of freaking out, but it doesn't reach that same level. I have more confidence in myself. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's like anything else. You know, you, you get better. There's art and there's a craft. Yeah. And um, I do feel like I'm getting better at the craft of it. Um, you know, I, I, and I feel like my writing is still getting better, which I, I appreciate. And I think it's how it should be. I mean, anything you do, I'm sure that your podcast and your interviewing is better, right? I mean, it's just natural. It's, um, as you do it more, if you, if you're paying attention, you take it seriously at all, you're going to improve. For so, sure. um, yeah, I do feel that. Um, and I, I, I felt it, I felt it quite a bit writing this book because some of it is pretty complicated, you know, yeah. right? Uh, well, obviously, as you, you set up beautifully, it's all about the time around the brothers and sisters. And I'm really proud of the sections that are really about the album. So brothers mm -hmm. and sisters, Greg Allman's late back and Dickie Betts, um, Highway Call primarily. Mm -hmm. um, I really dug into the making of each of those records and I spoke to a lot of the musicians who did them. Yeah. But that was um, more in-depth, but, but stuff that I've done before. Some of the other things I felt really proud of where I could flex my muscles a little bit, um, like writing about the band's relationship with Jimmy Carter, writing about the relationship with the Grateful Dead, mm -hmm. um, writing about Watkins Glen, biggest festival ever, mm -hmm. 600,000 people. All of those took a lot of research and, and there were points where I was doing that, th those chapters where I felt, wow, okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting good at this. <laughs> and and uh, you know, I, I don't dwell on that because it, I go all the way back to China when things really started to fly for me, you know, things were really happening. Like I was writing this column for the Wall Street Journal that was doing really well. I formed this band that was taking off. And uh, I just was like, wow, why is this all happening for me? And things are cooking. And I and I thought of this, there's a B.B. King song, you better not look down if you want to keep on flying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that became like my mantra. So I was like, don't analyze it. Um, and after I was back and I wrote Big in China, I could, I could take a little bit of time to analyze it. But... I feel that way when I'm writing a book, if I get into a groove, I think that same thing. Don't overanalyze it. Stay focused. You're in a groove. <laughs> Ride the groove and, uh, you know, build on what you're doing. Stay critical of yourself and don't, you know, I, I try not to ever, ever uh, let myself be overconfident. Right. Well, I want to I want to come back to that that critical idea here in just a little bit, because I, I got one que a question about that writing the book. But this makes your your second book uh regarding the album uh, the, the almond brothers and um yes. th this is a loaded question but in general for the listeners that may not be steeped in the almond brothers mm -hmm. uh what what makes the almond brothers so intriguing to you just in a, in general <laughs> yeah yeah well let me just de delineate what the two books are a little bit and how they're different so the first one one way out um came out in 2014 Mm -hmm. um, right after the Almond Brothers finished, which was, um, you know, a, a weird coincidence that happened after I started working on it. But um, 
that's a complete biography of the band from before they were formed in 1969 until their last show, August 28, 2014, at the Beacon Theater where I was. Mm -hmm. So I went pretty in-depth. It's in oral history formats, all based on my own interviews. And um, then this one is um, much more focused on a specific era, basically 1971 when Dwayne died until 1976 where they broke up for the first time. And, um, of course, it goes pretty in-depth into the, like I had mentioned, making of the albums and all those other things I talked about. But it's also a little bit more of a cultural history, American yeah. culture piece, you could say. Um, because the Allman Brothers, because of their success um, in this period when they were grieving and coming out of Dwayne's death and then the death of Barry Oakley, they somehow achieved their greatest commercial success. I mean, they had Ramblin' Man, but Brothers and Sisters is by far their best-selling uh, album. Uh, Ramblin' Man is their only uh, top 10 hit. It reached number two, kept from number one by Cher's Half-Breed. Cher, uh, so became many a, problems. A, yeah. Yeah, well, Cher wasn't really a problem for Greg later. I mean, that that uh, I think that's a little blown out of proportion. But yeah, she it became an I, I, ironic, although at the time it, it, there was no connection. Um, so uh, they, they're quite different, and... What makes them intriguing is, um, I mean, from the start, I just had some attraction to the to the Allman Brothers. If you go back to eighth grade, I grew up in Pittsburgh. We had to pick a uh, great American to write a story about, an essay about in um, like a social studies class. And people were writing about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Terry Bradshaw, because I was in Pittsburgh. Right, right. <laughs> Roberto Clemente, you know. And um, I wrote about Dwayne Allman. I was 12 or 13. I don't exactly know why. My brother got me into the Allman Brothers. Um, so that that's how I got into it. Why I was so drawn to them that early, I don't know. I wish I could like go interview 13-year-old yeah. me and say, what is it about Dwayne Allman? But um, I was swept up in the mythology. I loved the music. I loved Eat a Peach my brother gave me. And I just loved the uh, mushroomy artwork. I didn't really understand what it was, but I knew it was something kind of subversive. Um, and just cool. Yeah. Um, that was more attractive to me than some of the other. I, I wanted to be subversive, I guess, but that attracted me more than like punk, which is happening, or even more than like the acidy stuff of yeah. the dead or Jimmy Hendrix or something. I, I I don't know why I didn't I didn't understand that. I wasn't thinking of it in those terms, but that that just did draw me in. And then um, when I started writing about the band um, as a journalist, you know, I just I liked them. I got along with them. And I became um, close pretty early with Kirk West, who was at the time, um, the band's his title was Tour Mystic. So mm -hmm. he was like their tour manager, but he was so much more than that. He was the sort of community relations guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was the archivist, he was the photographer. Um, he and I became close working on a couple of things. And then he started having me work on his archival releases with him. Um, and so through him, through my relationship with him and uh, sort of through Dickie Betts and Warren Haynes, because I was I was writing at the time for Guitar World. So my initial relationship was with the guitar players. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, got along with him well. I got along with Kirk really well. Kirk started having me um, work on the archival releases with him. I would go to shows early. Sometimes I would even drive Kirk to the shows uh, when he was, they were playing near my house. And I'd hang out all afternoon in the production office. So I got to know the crew members and... Then when I would go interview Dickie and Greg or whoever, they would um, know me, you know, right? Oh, that's Kirk's guy, you know, mm -hmm. so it made a big difference. So 
I was able to get this sort of insider access. And so it was, it was just a combination. I mean, that all started because I loved the music. Right. Um, but then once I had that access, that became a thing unto itself because I didn't have that with, with everyone. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept writing about them. How's, how's... I'm sorry if it's like, you hear that sound? That's my little dog trying to get in. <laughs> Office. I don't know if that's being picked up by the mic. I, I can but I wanna, hear it just a little bit every now and then. I want to state for the record, I am not I am not ignoring a crying baby or torturing <laughs> a child in another room or anything. It's a nine pound dog who wants me. So just just I just, 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 just want to be clear about that because I don't want someone to listen to this and go, What is that guy doing? What just a needy <laughs> dog. Um a, a needy, needy puppy. Dog, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, going along with that, you know, like you said, you had access, you became a fan of them. It makes, makes me think a little bit there of, uh, of almost famous, the movie. Uh, do you, do, do you ever feel like sort of like in that movie, uh, trying, trying to make sure that uh, you stay accurate as a journalist and not as a fan when you're writing things? Yes. Um, yes. For sure. And, and, you know, I love that movie. And, and by the way, just, just before I answer your question directly, which I will, um, Cameron Crowe, you know, of course, wrote the movie mm-hmm. based on his own experiences and mm-hmm. um, with the Allman Brothers. I mean, it is based on his time with the Allman Brothers. Red on Dog the road. makes, the, makes tell, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He put Red Dog in there on purpose because Red Dog was really, really kind to him and like sort of guided him. And, um, I talked to Cameron extensively for this book. He really cooperated. um, And I tell the story. One of the chapters I'm proudest of, I think is one of the best things I've ever written. Um, I really break down his experience and how how it then came to impact Almost Famous. Um, And so it's dear to my heart. It was before that and now even more so that I I did this. but yeah, that that is really a challenge. How do you stay objective and write? And, and I think it was less of an issue with the books. I mean, o- over the then with some of the like magazine articles, um, over the years, one of the ways you gain trust um, is you sort of see things or hear things and don't write about them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was playing the long game. I mean, if I um, witnessed something backstage and I maybe could have like sold a story to the New York Post page six. Yeah. Um, and get like a hit of adrenaline and 200 bucks or something, but um, it would have it would have frozen me out forever. Right. So, um, but but I'm talking about pretty minor stuff. I don't I don't, I don't that makes it sound a little more dramatic than yeah. it probably is. But um, in writing the books, nobody really ever asked me to not write about anything. Yeah, um, it probably was in some ways easier on this book. Because the Almond Brothers are no more. Greg is deceased. Butch is deceased with the trucks. Um, and so to whatever extent it impacted my thought process, like on One Way Out, yeah. where they were active, I had great access and I was standing on stage and I got to go to the rehearsals for the last shows and all this stuff. Um, that was that was all gone for this one. But even then, I may have self-censored myself a little bit. Um but not really. I mean, nobody, you know, they, they respected me because I told the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody really ever asked me not to write anything. The one thing that I did always stay away from in interviews with Greg was talking about share. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that message sort of loud and clear. I don't, nobody ever said to me, don't talk to share or you won't talk to Greg again, but it was sort of implicit. Um, yeah. One of the cool things in this book, um, 
one uh, in brothers and sisters, and one of the things that really separates it is going back to Kirk. Um, while the band was broken up in the mid '80s, Kirk did a hundreds of hours of interviews and yeah. he was going to write a book and then they reformed they hired him he became an employee so he never wrote the book and uh, as i mentioned you know kirk and i were really close and we've become closer and closer over the years um i really consider him one of my best friends mm-hmm. um and when i started writing this book he offered me his tapes mm-hmm. and so that was just an incredible blessing in these interviews with kirk um they talked about some of these things that were somewhat off limit. Yeah. Greg talking about share is one good example. Mm-hmm. Greg talking about the scooter herring drug trial in 1976. Uh, that that's the other topic I should mention that I never brought up with Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, other than sort of obliquely, he talked about both of those things um, really in depth, and I felt really honestly with Kirk. Yeah. And so that made it really invaluable i mean there was a lot of other things in those interviews that were great mm-hmm. but some of that stuff in particular um he also had a great interview with bill graham mm-hmm. uh a great promoter with phil walden the band's manager who i had interviewed but, but this was more extensive and and new um with steve mazarski who was the band's manager after phil mm-hmm. um who most fans wouldn't have been excited about but the interview with him allowed me to really get into the relationship with the record company and what happened, how that went bad. Um, and, and some of the stuff that I thought was really, really interesting and new um, that I wouldn't have been able to get at without Kirk's interviews. So yeah. they were an absolutely invaluable resource. Um, I would say that's part of what made it possible for me to do such a new and different take on um, a second book. And, and that is true. The only reason I say with a little bit of a prevarication is I was writing the book. I signed the contract and stuff before Kirk offered me the tape. Mm. So somehow or other, I would have written it and I'm sure it would have been really good, but um, it wouldn't have been the same. And, and, and it became, they became so central to what I did um, that it's hard for me to, now to imagine what it would have been like without them. Although it would have been something, but so, um, I, yeah, so I felt great about that. So I mean, you're you know, like I said, you're good friends with Kirk. Did you know about the? I mean, because he recorded the tapes, like you said, back when they were broken up. Did you know about the tapes before I you started did. writing the book? I I did, um, I did, but I didn't know how extensive they were. Okay, for, for, for I would say, but. Um, and, and I did use a tiny bit of them in One Way Out, um, and mm. only with Red Dog. Mm. And I can explain, I knew Red Dog quite well. Red Dog, for those who don't know, was like really legendary crew mm. member. We, we mentioned him with the almost famous mm-hmm. Cameron Crowe threw in a reference to him. <laughs> um, I knew Red Dog really well. I talked to him all the time at shows, but I never interviewed him. Mm. And then he uh, died. Yeah. And I felt really stupid that I never interviewed him. I mean, I could have and I should have. Yeah. Um, and so when I was writing One Way Out and I was really determined that the quotes would only be from me, but I realized I didn't have anything from Red Dog and I thought he was important to have in there. So I asked Kirk if I could use his Red Dog interviews mm. um, and, and he gave them to me. So um, I, so I, and, and it says that in the in the author's note on One Way Out, based something to the effect of all interviews conducted by the author, except for Red Dog conducted by Kirk West. Gotcha. Um, so, so yeah, I did have those, and I knew that the rest existed. I didn't know how many there were. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of tapes. Yeah. Um, 
and I didn't fully comprehend. I guess because I had interviewed Greg and Dickie and Butch and Jamal so many times um, for One Way Out, and and those who were still with us were available to me again, um, namely. Uh, especially Jamo and Chuck Lavelle, I talked to a lot mm-hmm. um, for this book. Um, they were they were very very helpful. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was invaluable. They were you know to call them, email, text, whatever, it, as I would just have little questions or big questions. Uh, incredibly helpful, um, but it didn't fully strike me how much these <laughs> Kirk interviews would light up the book. Well, um, and and I should say, yeah, on the audio book for those who like to listen to audio books, um, that's what I was getting I ready to say. It, you you put of, them oh, in yeah. there, and there it's it's yeah. such a good addition to the audio book because yeah. you're. Thank I, you so much. I you know I was I was listening. I was going to ask you too where. Uh, I haven't got to the 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 Cameron Crow chapter yet. Uh, I'm I'm still working my way through it, um, but. Uh, that's gonna now I'm looking forward to that one because I, I, w- I want to hear more about that uh well now you're making me feel bad because you're making me realize that I didn't put a quote from Cameron in <laughs> and I could have um I I mostly use Kirk's interviews for those because I wanted people to hear them um there's 40 clips on the audiobook which is yeah. more than one a chapter I think there's 32 chapters or something and there's 40 it's, clips it's great um, it takes you yeah. back to the 80s talking about the 70s yeah. like i mean you just hear yeah. these guys so you hear dicky you hear uh greg you, you you like you said you hear all of these guys in their own words and you hear their their pauses you hear their emphasis on things you hear yeah. you know you can tell when they're irritated when they have to answer something like that yeah. they you know that, that you can tell they think about it and they're like oh god yeah okay i remember that like yeah and so it's uh it yeah, really yeah, adds you. to and i didn't you know i didn't know it was going to be on the audio book i just had it because i wanted to try to get through as much of the book as possible before the interview and so i was like oh, i'll get the audio book which i normally don't do and then i was listening to it and i was like oh well this is this is an awesome addition that i didn't know was going to yeah. be there i mean Thank you. Thank you. You know, I feel like everyone who's a really big fan who reads the book should also get the audio book, but I <laughs> to like go out and push that because it sounds so self-serving, um, which it, it is, I, I admit. But um, I also honestly believe that. Like, I, I feel like if I was just a fan, I, I would want to hear that. But I don't find uh, it's something I, I listen to audio books myself. But if it's something I really care about, I don't find it entirely satisfying alone. Yeah. Um, but I'm working with Kirk and some other platforms, trying to find ways to make more of these interviews available. Nice. Um, I think people should hear them. Uh, I, I, I am going to do that. I just don't know how yet. And uh, if anyone's listening and has some ideas, feel free to get in touch. I'm easy to find on social media and uh, websites and stuff. So I, I, I would. Um, I, I, we have some ideas we're working through. Um, I kind of got to get through a bunch of promotional stuff I'm doing this month. And then I'm going to, um, at the end of this year into early next year, I'm really going to be focusing on that because, um, I want people to be able to hear these interviews. For I sure. just have to figure out how to ties it and get the money to Kirk. It's not for me just to be clear that these are his, he, you know, these are his interviews. I license them. Yeah. Uh, McMill audio licensed them. I'm not trying to exploit them. I just want people to hear them. I think it's uh, invaluable. Well, now on the audio book, you're, you're doing the reading. Uh, yeah. And I feel like that's tough because, you know, you've had a good while since you've wrote the book and now you're reading it and you can't make any edits to it. When you were reading through it, were there any sentences, anything that you were like, 
oh man that eh, should have rewrote that or i should yeah. have re because that seems like it would irritate the crap out of me yeah i mean of course there was um <laughs> and you not that many people could pick up on that so good job um yeah there, there was a mix of things so there were i mean the, the good thing about reading it is i sometimes just fix it at on the audiobook mm -hmm. um <laughs> i also you know and i and and i was able to do that i mean there were yeah. early in the, the, the producer there and they're reading along and they'll stop and say um you read that wrong or that was one sentence and you read it as two and i said yeah i did that on purpose and they said okay we're just making sure i mean i had license to do that yeah. as the author uh but yeah i mean it, so there were two things one was exactly what you mentioned where like i said i'm just like wait or you know that was a little repetitive mm -hmm. or wait that sentence could have been explained like with one more sentence i left that you know that's not as clear as it seemed um there was a certain amount of that for sure there also were mistakes mm -hmm. i mean uh, because i was reading the final final you know a, a, a version that they they made the script out of the final and that freaked me out. Um, a couple of them were my fault, and a couple of them were production errors mm. that made me. So I kept a little notebook. Uh, I fixed them. I mean, I didn't read any mistakes that I was aware of. So I fixed them on the audiobook. I kept a little notebook. I immediately uh, sent them in. And so they were immediately fixed for the, the ebook because the book hadn't come out yet. So the Kindle version had all those things fixed. Um, and the uh, print book is fixed for second printing. I, I'm not yes. even sure if we're in the second printing yet or not. No, I haven't inquired. But yeah. um, but, but the book was already printed, so that was gone. And I'm surprised nobody's called me on it. <laughs> but um, they are there, and I'm aware of it. It's 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 uh, tough. Some of them are like proofreading mistakes, which yeah. I will blame on the uh, on the. Uh, publisher i don't really feel that's my responsibility although it looks bad for me but there are also a couple of things that are definitely my fault yeah um, well, and it's i mean at least you get to do it know, though you know i mean at least you yeah got to, yeah yeah so that was it, it, right exactly so that was both the good side and the bad side yeah. of reading it um there was one or two mistakes that really upset me the others were annoying and i i actually a, a one of them which was a, a mistake that somebody in production inserted like that they absolutely should not have. Like it was an editorial decision um, that they didn't have the right to do. So I was really angry about mm. it. And um, I actually had to pause the, the recording for a minute and just go for a little walk and clear my head because I couldn't, I wanted to refocus and sort of push it aside. You know, yeah. it's the same as you better not look down if you want to keep on flying. It's like, you better not look up if you want to stop groveling, yes. you know, mm -hmm. same, same deal. Like, you know, you have to do the job. Um, it, it's just like when I'm playing a gig and I'm aware that I messed up a lyric or played the wrong chord. You, you gotta can't, keep moving. Yeah. You know, you gotta keep moving. And then you try to make a note of it. So you're like, Oh, I, I better make sure. Like I met, I don't, really know the bridge of that song as well as i thought like mm -hmm. you don't want to completely forget it because you want to solve it for next time but you definitely can't um dwell on it or everything will fall apart so um it, it, and that's the way that all of these things help you know play like i don't think i would have been able to read the audiobook for instance and go in a studio and do that um as in i'm not an actor um but i have been on stage i have recorded albums and i'm comfortable performing and i'm comfortable with the concept of sitting in front of a microphone in a studio so um 
that that's where the experience one thing bleeds into another and it and it becomes helpful even though they seem to be separate yeah. skills yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you one question here about uh the the band before i let you go and this one sort of i mean we, we touched on it i mean it's amazing with the almond brothers in the fact that this was a time they lost their leader they lose their leader of Dwayne, then they lose uh oakley and yet they managed to have the most success of their career and they managed to go five more years you know and i i sort of wonder i mean is it was it the sheer talent of the members of the band that you think got them through that because i mean you highlight a lot in that that first part about dicky just you know sort of playing out of his mind uh, on stage making these amazing songs like jessica and rambling man was was it that or what do you think kept them together and made them that sort of successful in that period yeah, so I think it was a combination of things, and it wasn't one thing. They needed each of these things to work together or it wouldn't have happened. So first of all, um, the tragedy focused them and in the short term really brought them closer together mm-hmm. because they were, you know, it, 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 I guess it's sort of like if, if um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of us have the, the familiarity of losing a family member, someone that really we're close to. And... Uh, I think we all know examples in our own lives of how that can go one of two ways. You know, it can bring a family really close together and make them closer than ever, or it can splinter them apart because mm-hmm. the pain is too too great. Um, and so I think if you think of it that way, because it's something that we all can relate to, uh, unfortunately, um, it makes more sense. And so that was, I think, the scenario, and they reacted by it pulling them closer together. They shared a grief and a sadness that no one else could really understand, but they didn't have to explain to each other. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to say, Greg would never say to Dickie, how you doing with Dwayne's death or mm-hmm. vice versa? I mean, other people would say that to them maybe, but they didn't have to speak about it. They understood. And the only way they could survive, and Greg said this, I think it was actually in the interview with Cameron Crow in 1973, uh, in, the, in the, the Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. the almost famous story, he said people, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically <laughs> what he said. Um, people say, how can you hold it together as if playing music is, means we're holding it together? That's the whole deal, man. If we weren't playing music, our brains would be out of our heads. Yeah. So the music is what, I mean, they're musicians. They weren't guys who were going to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. They weren't guys who were going to talk it out with each other. They talked it out in the music. Yeah. And so it really pulled them closer together. I think that that also, and, and Dickie, to some extent, um, because Greg was lost in his own grief a little bit, mm-hmm. and Greg was pouring the uh, creativity he had um, into his solo record, mm-hmm. which was a bit different, laid back. Yeah. So Come and Go Blues is the only original Greg song on this album that I think is stands up with his best stuff. It's one of my favorite songs of his mm-hmm. um so dicky had this room to run where and he had to so some people will say oh dicky took over the band and in later years that became a bit of an issue as dicky became more of the focal point but in real time as it was happening he had to like there was no i mean he did it because he had to and there it was and 
They added Chuck Lavelle uh, at the start of these sessions. Um, out of he was originally working on Greg's laid back album, which came out after, but started before recording before uh, Brothers and Sisters. And Chuck, obviously, you know, was huge figure in this. Um, in terms of how did they have this success? Part of it was Chuck. I yeah. mean, was the brilliance of finding Chuck. Part of it was Lamar Williams, who replaced Barry Oakley, uh, who was J-Mo's best friend uh, growing up. He slid right in. Because remember, um, not only do these guys have to be great musically, they have to be able to fit in culturally and socially with yeah. this very much existing and already grieving, already gone through so much group. Um, and Chuck and Lamar proved to be the perfect guys, both musically and, and culturally. And so, yeah, what would Jessica be without Chuck Lavelle, without that piano? Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? But if you listen to the whole album, um, uh, Jessica, of course, is the most obvious contribution. I mean, it's like, you know, one of the greatest piano songs in rock history. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's huge on Rambler Man and, and everything else as well. You do, it's just not as quite as obvious. But, um, yeah, so it was Chuck and then everything came together and it was just like they were the right place at the right time. I mean, the country, the Waltons were coming out and Little House on the Prairie and people had a little bit of like a rustic back to the country desire, you know, it was coming mm -hmm. out of Watergate, coming out of Vietnam. And I think that that was attractive. And I'm not saying that the Allman Brothers were like sat there and thought that through or yeah, had any direct connection to those TV connected. shows. It was just the zeitgeist that was happening. Yeah. They they were the right band at the right time and and brothers and sisters you know and the inside us uh, the album the the spread was a picture of all of those guys I mean it looked like they were they were living communally on the farm mm -hmm. and they kind of were you mm -hmm. know it was it was a little bit of a come by up picture but it also was based on reality yeah um it's, it just you know and, and that's what made it so interesting to write about everything that we're talking about how did they do that and how did they end up being so culturally relevant during this moment when they just as easily could have been falling apart it, it amazes me just how big Dwayne looms you know during all of that time like I mean you talk to somebody that is a Almond Brothers fan yet they don't like actually you know obviously they're not in it like you are and they'll think Dwayne is on every single song. Like, people even, you know, they'll think that he's on Ramblin' Man. They'll think he's on Jessica. And you're like, yeah. no, he never, you know, he was he yeah. was gone by that time. So, like, I mean, his his image, it's so amazing to me just how, you know, I mean, it was his band. You know, I mean, he, he came well, up with the band. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about that uh, a little bit in, in One Way Out and in and, and, and some articles as the Allman Brothers were ending in 2014. It was fascinating that until the last minute, you know, I mean, he'd been dead for 40, over 40 years, 43 years, I guess, by the time they were hanging it up. Mm -hmm. And he still was the defining figure, even for guys like Derek Trucks and Warren Haynes, who mm -hmm. never knew him. You know, Derek was, of course, born way after he died. But, um, you know, when push came to shove with the Allman Brothers to the end, it was sort of what would Dwayne do, you know, and... Um, he set up this band and, and the idea was a very, very unique figure because he didn't write the songs. Um, he didn't sing the songs. Um, and usually either the singer or songwriter, usually yeah. both, it's one guy, it's both are the, are the leaders, um, or the, you know, the front people or whatever. And, and it wasn't the case with Dwayne. Um, but he was absolutely the leader of the band. They all followed him. And that's why they could continue as well as they did. Um, because, Greg and Dickie were the singers and songwriters. Yeah. So um, they had to figure out how, but musically they were still there. I mean, if they had broken up, 
in Dwayne's uh, absence and, and, and uh, you know, then Greg and Dickie still could have been and would have been, I believe, successful solo artists. I mean, yeah. they were terrific and songwriters. So they had that, which is generally the most important thing to it's success. Just, they right? just need you know, the leader. Yeah. They just, yeah, they need the leader and they need someone to hold them together because they were disparate personalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, Greg and Dickie had all of them mm-hmm. to some extent. Well, um, you've got uh ten twenty two. You've got a great evening uh, with uh, this event coming up, Intuition Ale Works. Uh, six, uh, it's going to be at 6 p.m. Smokestack is playing some tunes, and you're doing an author talk about the book. Um, are, one quick question about that. As far as doing something at ja- in Jacksonville, do you get a little bit of extra juice because it's, it's where the b- band started? Absolutely, and and um, even more so because I haven't done anything in Jacksonville. Um, I, I I mean, I sort of did because on one way out, the first two years I did talks and, and did a lot of stuff at the Wani Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of Jacksonville, but I but I haven't been in Jacksonville and done an event, nice. and that's crazy. It's ridiculous. I haven't done it. Um, the guys from Smokestack actually contacted me and said, we'd love to do something with you. Nice. Um, and I jumped on it immediately. I mean, at first I checked them out and saw they were a great band. Yeah. <laughs> and I called up Melody and Valor Trucks, my friends, Butch's kids. Uh, Melody lives in Jacksonville. And I said, what do you, what do you, is, are the guys in Smokestack good guys? Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, they're great guys. So, you know, as long music is great, their intent is great, and they're really good guys, because I don't, I don't want to deal with jerks. I don't do that. Um, too old for that. <laughs> um, and these guys are great guys. I mean, I, I know that now for facts. I've been talking to them a lot, but I, nice. I checked them out on the front end. And yeah, I mean, Jacksonville is where it started, so I'm really excited. Uh, Michael Ray Fitzgerald, Jacksonville historian, music historian, has written several great books. Uh, I've been talking to him, and I'm going to you know finally meet him, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So awesome. Um, please, I hope you can come. I hope anyone listening can come. I will be at the place early doing some signing and stuff. Then I'll, I'll talk and then I'm going to play with, with Smokesack. We're going to have a great night. Awesome. Alan, we are up against a break, but you did an amazing job on the book. I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Like I said at the beginning, I, I love your dedication to music and thank you to everyone listening and keep supporting live music. Come support Smokestack and me, but even if you can't make it, either way, go see them another time. Go out and see a band you love because we need people to support live music, and um, those of us who are out there playing it appreciate all of uh, you who do that. Amen. Folks, the book is Brothers and Sisters, the Almond Brothers Band, and the album that defined the 70s. It's out everywhere. He'll be in Jacksonville at Intuition L October 22nd. Make sure you go check him out. We'll be right back here on the Doc G Show.
And we are back here on the Doc G, a show you just heard, Blackberry Smoke. Make sure to mark your calendars, guys. Go see them uh, November, or, no, yeah, November 10th, right, in St. Augustine. And, of course, they will be on the show November 8th. Paul Jackson was kind enough to come on the show, talk with me. It's going to be a fantastic interview. You need to check it out. That's in two weeks, guys. And, of course, that is at the St. Augustine Amphitheater that you want to check it out. Um, Claude, uh, we have had some. We have already had some good times on the show here. Um, some, some good times. I think the whole time has been good. Nice, Claude. Nice. That's why you're here. The hype yeah. man. I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, uh, Claude, we have a segment on the show that we haven't done for a very long time. And uh, seeing as how you're a resident NBA analyst, and you told me you'll be going to the Lakers-Knicks game February 3rd, I thought we'd use that to dust off the old segment why would you review that? Why would you review that? Did somebody tell him this is a really bad idea for a segment? They did, and he didn't care. <sighs> All right, it's time for Why Would You Review That? Yes. <laughs> yes, Claude, this segment has been around for six years on the show. It's It's been there yeah. for a long time. Um, now... This all started, for the listeners that are newbies to the show, this all started when I realized that people had taken time out of their day to review a bridge on Google Review. Huh? And I was like, why would you review a bridge? What? How? Why? Right? And then I realized people will review anything. So uh, this show is all about looking at negative reviews of different things. And uh, since you will be at Madison Square Garden February 3rd watching the Knicks and Lakers, I thought, you know what? Let's check out Madison Square Garden. Let's check it out. Oh, that's great. So, uh, Claude, this was surprising to me. First off, uh, the number of positive reviews. Madison Square Garden, 29,682 reviews on Google. Uh 4.7 out of 5 stars average for the reviews. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's start here with Nerve Survey. Nerve Survey uh, said, quote, went to Lionel Richie concert. They allowed everyone in the building for a 7.30 p.m. start. Made everyone wait spend money on concessions and then at 8:35 they announced the concert is postponed some 12,000 people old and young and handicapped all needed to exit the building escalators stopped so it took forever to get out shameful and embarrassing to such a famous venue one star nurse says one star uh Couple of things. I mean, some things you can't. Some things you can't control. And, you know. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, uh, one thing. First of all, let's give this guy credit for going to see Lionel Richie. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but second <laughs> of all, I also like how he said twelve thousand people, old, young, handicapped, all needed to exit the building. L like, 
normally there's 8,000 people who are like, you know what, I'm just going to stay in the building. It's, uh, I don't need to leave. We're just going to hang out here for the rest of the night. Like, of course, <laughs> if, if, the, if, if, the, if everybody has to leave, it's going to be everyone. No, he's going to leave. What, what are you doing? Anyways. Anyways, uh, let's see. What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear uh, William Waxter or Michael Schneider? Let's go. Uh, when you said Schneider, it made me think of Rob Schneider. Mm-hmm. Shout out to, uh, shout out to, to our Rob. guy, Rob. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we know we love shout outs on the show. Yeah. I feel like every time we come on the show, we're giving shout outs. I love it. You have to um, give out shout outs. Shout out. Yeah. So let's go with Schneider. Okay. All right. This one this one works for you. This You might want to uh, note this down for your trip, uh, Claude. Uh, quote, we were in the lower level and they didn't shoot any T-shirts at us. One star. <laughs> now, are you, oh man, are you going to be in the lower level, Claude? Uh, yeah, my sister and I are going to the game. Uh, we go to a Brooklyn Nets game every year, but this year uh, decided next. I told her I wanted to, yeah, just to go see LeBron play year twenty-one. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, so of course we had to get decent seats. Well, maybe I'll get a T-shirt but- if I do. I'll go leave a five-star review. Well, I mean, you're in the lower, you're in the lower deck, so it's not looking good, apparently, <laughs> uh, according to Michael Schneider. Nope. Um, okay, here we go with uh, Christopher Hardwick. Uh, quote: The exodus leaving the show was extremely dangerous and hazardous. People were getting stepped upon and trampled. Jeez. Totally against fire codes. The construction pushed, pushed thousands of people into a long labyrinth hallway that was so narrow and unsafe. End quote. One star. Mm. Oh my gosh. According to Christopher, people are just continuously getting trampled to death and no one's doing a thing, Claude. Watch out. Watch Where's out. Where's the security? I Where's the security? Apparently, nowhere to be had. <laughs> apparently. Watch out. Uh, mm. This this one. This one might be one of my favorites. This is Kim Leah. Quote, your bartender, the bold guy, is extremely rude and needs more training. You do not make passive aggressive or sarcastic comments to paying customers because the machine is taking long. He had poor listening skills and almost double charged me. He even had the nerve to moan when I ordered again. Mm incredibly rude end quote one star you know i respect if that's maybe a bad experience for him but i wish he had used the word groan (laughs) instead of moan (laughs) it would make a little bit more sense Uh, could you imagine the person moaning well i mean kim i gotta say i don't want to well first of all i gotta say she seems like a delight (laughs) nope uh second of all claude uh you need to go ahead and mark it down for your trip you need to watch out for the bold bartending guy Uh, Look, i'm taking notes right now i've got i'm not gonna get any t-shirts i'm gonna get trampled (laughs) i i'm gonna be dealing with broken or delayed or paused escalators yeah Yep. And I will get double charged by a horrible bartender. There you go. There you go. Now, this one, I think this sums it up for us here, Claude. I think this is the best one. James Cornish says, now, he uh, keep in mind, this is one star. Quote, it's just a sports stadium. Don't expect much unless you love b-ball. But if you are a fan, you'll like it. 
end quote. There you go. Okay. There you go. I'm a fan. I was about so to say. I like it. I think that sums it up. I think you'll be okay, Claude. I think you'll be just fine. I think it'll work for Look, you. Look, I, I got the checklist. I know what to avoid. All I need to do is go in with the mindset of I'm a I'm a real true fan, and there it's it going to be a great time. There it is. There it is. Uh, Claude, we need to move on to uh, the fastest growing segment in the world, also known as the Mike C Top 3. Now... For listeners that listened last week, they'll be like, hey, um, we're looking forward to the topic that Mike gave us. I threw a little bit of a curveball in there, listeners. What? I threw a curveball in there because we're still on NBA. And I was like, you know what? We need an NBA topic. So Mike gave us the topic of top three dog breeds. Very generic top three. Hmm. You know? And I knew Claude would be on it because he has a dog. And he's a fan of his dog. Yes. But at the same time, I was like, we can't have the opening of NBA and not talk a little bit more NBA. So we're going to put dog breeds to the side, and we are going to do top three players most likely to get MVP this season. So, Claude, this is how this works. I give my top three, or I give my third, you give your third, uh, and then we go all the way up to number one. So... I okay. will start with my number three. My number three. I'm, this is the dark horse of my uh, of my uh, list. SGA gotta have one. SGA. Ooh, yeah, nice. That's a good one. I think he's just gonna explode. I mean, he's already been exploding the last two years, but that guy is just. I think. I think OKC will be good enough. You know, in like the top eight of the West uh, Western Conference for people to be like. Yeah, yeah, he could be he could be MVP. So, number three, SGA Claude. What's your number three? That's a good one. Uh, my number three is Jason Tatum. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, he's going to put up some some gaudy stat lines yeah. this year. Um, and obviously, with Boston being a top team, uh, whoever you know the best player is on one of the best teams, they're going to get MVP recognition. Yeah. So. Uh, I think Jason Tatum's a good fit for that third spot. Uh, okay, my number two, classic. Well, well, both of them are classic, but number two, Joker. Gonna go with it. Oh, okay. Joker. You know, uh, I I thought I didn't think he was gonna get it last season because of uh, uh, you know just because uh, fatigue, voter fatigue. You know, um, I was like three in a row. They're not gonna. They're not gonna put him up there with Larry Bird. They're just not gonna do it. They're not. They're not gonna do that. So, I think though now, if he has the same seasons that he had for the last three, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, now we can do it. We can go back. Yeah. So, right. uh, I, uh, yeah, Joke, Joker's my number two. It's a good one. Um, <clears throat> I bet we're, we're gonna end up flip flopping with one and two. But my number two is Giannis. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an, these are obvious. I feel like when you get to the top two, you know, at least the last couple of years, who it's going to be. But Giannis is a, a two-time MVP. Yeah. Um, I do think that you just mentioned voter fatigue. I think he went through it as yep. well. Um, you watched it with a lot of guys over the years um, with Steph Curry and LeBron. You know, the, the past ten years. Um, but Giannis, I mean, he's going to have another season with ridiculous numbers, ridiculous stats. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think 
similar to Tatum, uh, best player on one of the best teams, you know, he, he's going to be 1A to, to Lillard's 1B, but Lillard's not going to win the MVP over Giannis when Giannis is, you know, Euro stepping from half court and dunking on people yeah. like he's Victor Wimbanyama. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be fun to watch them play this year, but Giannis at two. The, the biggest thing, uh, so, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, you're right. My number one is Giannis. Um, uh, correct. Uh, and, and with Giannis, like, that's the thing is, like, I think people forget about his defense. Because that dude yeah. just doesn't stop on either end of the court. Like, that's always the thing that amazes me so much about him. Is like literally, you know, people are always like, oh yeah, give it, give it your all, yeah, try, try your hardest. That dude looks like he's about to fall over and collapse at every like every timeout. Like he is giving it his all, and it doesn't matter if it's Wednesday night in in Minnesota, you know, uh, in October, or if it's uh, Game Seven in in May. So like yeah. uh, it's uh, I I think sometimes that sort of fatigue it's not even like voter fatigue it's just it's the taking it for granted which you can take for granted on uh, on Joker as well I mean there's so many things about Joker that you take for granted uh, which leads us to your number one Claude which would be the Joker there we go um, you know there's not been a three time winner uh, back back to back MVP mm-hmm. um so consecutive years. Since I believe Larry Bird, right, right, and you know, LeBron probably should have, uh, Michael Jordan probably should have had that, you know, starting back with him. LeBron probably should have had it. They gave it to, to Derrick Rose. Uh, Mike's got messed up, I believe, with Carl Malone. Yeah. Um, and then you look at at Jokic, who last season put up arguably better numbers than he did in his other two MVP campaigns. And you, I, I said it earlier, I kind of, it was an indirect jab at Embiid, but it really was a sympathy MVP last year. Mm-hmm. And that voter fatigue really came into play. And I think the biggest issue with MVP talk is the narratives being pushed out from uh, big media platforms like an ESPN. It just really came down to, and I know it's a regular season award, but by the end of the playoffs and Jokic holding the trophy up and yeah. the stat lines that he was putting up, it was pretty obvious who the best player in the world was. Well, it's one of those ironic things that, of course, the year that he wins it and he takes the team all the way, then it's like, oh, yeah, we didn't give you the trophy that year. What? Right. Wasn't I more valuable this year than any other year? That doesn't make any sense. Hey, but let me ask you, would you rather have a, a regular season MVP or a finals MVP? Mm, true. That's true. Because he still got one of the two. That's true. I don't think uh, Joker cares about either. Nope. But uh, <laughs> No. I mean, uh, uses it as a door stopper. I mean, honestly, that's the one reason I just love that dude. I mean, just every single thing that people will be like, "What do you think about this?" And he's like, "Oh, it's been pretty cool. Whatever." Like, just like <laughs> nothing. Like, I mean, he it's perfect from that. Like, I forget when it was, 2011 or whatever year his Facebook post was of just the goofy kid asking who wanted oh, to yeah. play pickup, and that's just right. That's all he is. It's just a goofy kid that wants to play basketball, and he's really good at it. That's it. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, and he just doesn't. I mean, he doesn't want to celebrate. He doesn't want to like. He's like, nah. I just had a good time playing the game. All right, let's get out of here. He, you know, he. I'm sure he enjoyed the the championship parade, but he. I mean, he he seemed pretty 
adamant on wanting to get back home and not go to that parade after the finals. Yep. And then there was a funny clip of him walking into uh, training camp this off season. And, you know, he had had a huge off season back home and with his, I mentioned his, uh, his horses, he's yeah. really big into horse racing oh, and yeah. has had a lot of success with that. So, uh, but he, the clip was him walking into the arena and he kind of just had his head down a little bit and he just did a deep breath, like, <laughs> because he's like, I got to go back uh, to work. I was about to say, all right, back to work. Let's get it. Oh man. All right. That is the top Three, Mike C, top three. We are going to move on. Uh, we've got two birthday suits we got to get through here real quick before the end of the show, Claude. Um, do you want the painter or do you want the uh, R&B singer first? Oh, man. Um, I already feel bad about these two. I, I got lucky, I think, with a, a little softball for Katy Perry. I, let's I, go with... Um, these are both doable. Let's go with the painter. They're both okay. doable. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, born on October 25th, 1881 in Spain. He's perhaps the most famous artist of the 1900s. Known for founding the Cubist movement. His most famous pieces, Guanica, The Soup, The Weeping Woman, and The Old Guitarist. You know, I was really hoping it was just going to be Bob Ross, but when you said the <laughs> 1800s, <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to even try and hide it. I don't know this one, so uh, I'm just going to say Picasso. I don't know. Yes! Yes, you Wait, are I, correct. Was it really? Yes, Pablo Picasso. <laughs> yeah. There it is. I told awesome. you. Uh, arguably one of the most famous, Two for man. two, baby. Two for two. Pablo Picasso turning, uh, would have turned, uh, what would that be? 142. 142. Uh, happy man. birthday, Picasso. Um, okay, here we go. Third one. I think you can go three for three. Uh, if, okay. if not on the music, I think the, uh, I think her, um, husband might be able to in on who it is. Born on October 25th, 1985 in Fort Hood, Texas. Famous for songs like One Two Step, Lose Control, Goodies, Get Up, and Promise. She sold over 45 million albums worldwide, and she's been married to Russell Wilson since 2016. Who we got? Sierra. Sierra is correct. Yes. There yes. it is. The beat is automatic, supersonic, hypnotic, there funky it is. fresh. There it is. <laughs> Claude, three for three. Man, coming in like a hey, champ. Batting a thousand. I'll take it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Claude, I have had a fantastic time. Before we go, do you want to venture a guess who's going to be? in the finals who do you think yeah yeah i i think that it's important that we uh i feel like every time i'm on the show that got, is a question we gotta do a prediction brought up yeah yeah i love predictions so let's go with um phoenix okay against milwaukee oh a, a repeat and i think we're i think we're gonna get to see the new look sons and we're gonna get to see uh uh, Giannis and KD go at it. Mm. 
and remember that series where Kevin Durant uh, oh, yeah. was playing the among the Nets. Yeah. And he, you know, just missed the three-point shot by the, you know, he made toe. the shot, but it Big wasn't a toe. three, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. length of his toe. Um, that was a phenomenal series. Uh, I'd love to see that. They were both playing out of their minds in that series, man. That was a, that was an awesome game. Yeah, that would be a good one. That's, I like that one. I like that one. Claude, we're we going to have to wrap it up for this week. We've got some great shows coming up. Next week, we've got Trey Lewis, the fantastic singer, songwriter, musician. And then the week after that, we have none other than Blackberry Smoke, returning guest from 2017. Fantastic. But until then, I've been your host, Doc G. With me for this week, the, the, the one, the only, Claude. <laughs> Fly till I die, Lathan. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it as always. Uh, Really looking forward to the next time. Let's do it sooner than later. For sure. For sure. And until next week, guys, zip it up and zip it out. (laughs) 